0: Man, my leather suspenders are chafing today. <laughs> this is Billy the Hippo. He's from Liberia. <laughs> Let's do it all for one love. Welcome to episode 30 of the Presidential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria, which we just enjoyed a little bit of. Place your order today at greekspizzeria.com, gents. It's, it's our, our case. taste. I'm your host Ryan Alward joined by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert Russ Lifka. And if you want to get episodes early and ad-free of this podcast, join our Patreon community for only 5 bucks a month at patreon.com/presequential. For 10 bucks a month, you can also get our exclusive bonus episodes sent to you via email. Sign up today. patreon.com/presequential. Blaine, give the good people the scoop on the book, the booze, and the name of the episode.
1: I just want to start by saying I feel like we're in a good roll the last few episodes. Yeah. And I'm not gonna let Calvin Coolidge bring that down.
0: Nah. We're we're gonna keep it rolling. I think I had so much fun in Taft's episode. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't laughed that hard listening to an episode. Russ, oh. you do a great job yeah, that's editing. Funny. Okay, so
1: Calvin Coolidge, this episode is called The Subdued. Oh Yeah. Well you'll see why. The book is called Calvin Coolidge, The Quiet President, and it was written by Donald R. McCoy, nineteen sixty. So and it looks like it was written in 1960. Yeah, it really does. It was 422 pages. So what is our
0: running total now? Twelve thousand five hundred fifty-seven, or an average of 419 pages per president read. That's a lot. And tonight we're drinking
1: a Tokay wine. A Tokay wine. K A Y. I looked up. Apparently, Coolidge was a big fan of this dessert wine. Oh gosh, which says a lot about the man. Really, that his favorite wine is a dessert wine. I have no idea Wait, what a dessert says, wine is. I was told don't drink very much of it because your stomach will hurt. It's Hungarian. This um, says Takaji right? It's apparently another variation of the word. It was. Uh, it was a whole thing. Looking up, like, can you even find Hungarian wine here? I, I went to Total Wine and More, and yeah. there are like three levels of it. It's like this one was like twenty bucks. There was like a seventy dollar bottle. Yeah, don't do that. Like, yeah, and
2: they're, th- they're thick, right? Like I have no
1: idea. I I purposely
0: didn't let anybody try it before. Right now, so it's a late harvest wine. So you you basically dip into that freezing temperature when the grapes like you get a much sweeter grape when they are borderline frozen. Yeah, in, it's kind of like a uh, not like riesling, but like a, a the German one is called a Gewürzheimner. Uh, well, in Hungary, yeah. it's called Tokay. Tokay, and this was or whatever the word was you said.
2: Takashi.
1: Takashi. Takashi. T- oh, uh, are we trying it? All right, oh. cheers. Okay, here we go. It's, cheers. Might it might not be good. Cheers. Russ. But this is what Calvin Coolidge liked. All right. Oh, that is thick. Oh boy.
2: Like a, like a cough syrup.
1: It's. Like oh, sweet and
0: earthy. I don't want to have to take another sip of that. <laughs> it's not good. It, I, I hate the bottle. I yeah, hate the, the bottle's super it. weird. I it's like, like the, the Virginia Slim of wine bottles. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I don't like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Said everyone in during the Coolidge presidency. <laughs> and he just stared at them in silence. Yeah. It's from Mad Hungry. Yo, I'm mad hungry, bro. Yo, man, uh, I'm mad. Yo, let's get some of that
0: takaji, dog. M A D, comma, hungry. Mad, mad hungry. Man. Mm-hmm. I want to yeet that into the trash. <laughs> uh, what do you guys remember about Calvin Coolidge from social studies growing up? Anything?
2: He had Cool in his name. Yeah, he
0: did. Yeah. If you're in fifth grade, you're like, oh, that's kinda cool. Oh, fifth grade? Okay. Literally okay. the grade, only whatever.
1: the only thing that I thought about was like he dressed like the Monopoly Man. Okay. Yeah. Kind of top hat. All right. All I remember. Yeah, wow. I and in re- one of the books that was written about him, he ha- has a top hat on. Yeah. So I'm not. Wrong. I just
0: remembered his nickname for some reason Silent Cal. That's all I knew about him. And I don't even remember how I learned that. I don't even. That might have been a little extracurricular research and reading that I did in high school. Hmm. Yeah. I was kind of a nerd then, too.
2: Do you know the nickname of the Monopoly man?
0: Mr. Moneybags.
2: Close.
1: Mr. Um, Money. Colonel Money Sat.
2: It's rich uncle money bags.
1: Uh-huh. You know, Monopoly oh. was originally supposed to be
0: like a pro union socialist game. Yes. Wild. Wow. <laughs> let's dive into his life shall we john calvin coolidge was born in plymouth notch vermont on july 4th 1872 giving him the distinction of being the only president born on independence day you may recall from past episodes that three of our first five presidents died on the 4th of july however thomas jefferson and john adams in 1826 mere hours apart and james monroe in 1831 i'm almost positive another
1: president was either born on the 4th of july or their kid was Okay. Pretty almost because, I think
2: it was another founding father, but it okay. wasn't the president. Because I remember mm. making
1: the born on the 4th of July joke about that being the only thing on yeah. Sundays when they
0: wouldn't show the I Bears gotcha. game. Yeah. Well, he grew up helping his storekeeper father tend accounts, sell apples, and doing other chores around the store and at home on the family farm. He had little ambition as a boy beyond hoping to follow his father as a good, honest, small-town merchant in Vermont. He was a fair-to-average student in elementary school. His family had deep roots in New England. His earliest American ancestor, John Coolidge, came over from England around 1630 and settled in Massachusetts. His great-great-grandfather, also named John Coolidge, was an American military officer in the Revolutionary War and one of the first selected men, I think, which is a term of just basically maybe a founding father of the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Both Coolidge's mother, named Toria, and his younger sister named Abigail died when he was a teenager. He was really close to both of them, and their deaths contributed to what was already a quiet temperament. His father then married a local school teacher named Carrie Brown in 1891, and she grew very close to Calvin over the years. His grandfather was named Galoosh. Galoosh. <laughs> That's, that's a, a, and that's
1: a that random name. that is all I have from Calvin's childhood. How do you get Galoosh and then just like, well, we you should just call him like John. Well, it says grandfather's Galoosh. So I'm assuming it might have been his last name. It was You sure it's
0: not his, Goulash? G-A-L-O-O-S-H. Galoosh. It,
2: it sounds like one of those Batman fighting sounds. For sure. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: onomatopoeia. Thank you. Yes, there you what, go. What onomatopoeia, onomatopoeia is the literary device to describe sound. Sounds. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Like sploosh or...
2: Galoosh.
0: Galouche, or uh, Bam. All right. He attended the prestigious Amherst <laughs> College and graduated with Which honors. Which I definitely thought was an all-girls school. There is an all-girls school near that. I mean, it's outside of Boston, right? Amherst? Amherst? Yeah. 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 and he's from Vermont. Well, he graduated with honors in 1895, and he graduated cum laude. I have a funny
1: Amherst story. Oh. So, he was really quiet and unassuming, shockingly. He won a National Writing Award for an essay about the Revolution. Yeah. One of his friends saw the write-up about it in the newspaper and asked if it was true. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we won. And he was like... We, no, not we. Like, he was asking, did you actually win this award for writing this piece? Oh, I see. Because he hadn't told anybody. I see. And he was like, yeah. He was like, would you tell your dad? And he said, no, do you think I should?
0: (laughs) 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 He, later in his political career, relied a lot on his other Amherst alumni and fellow classmates, including Harlan Stone whom, as president, he appointed attorney general and later as an associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. After college, shocker here, he read law in a law firm in Northampton, Massachusetts, passed the bar in the summer of 1897, and opened a law office shortly thereafter.
1: I'm not even going to pretend to be surprised by that. Yeah. Let's talk about how he met Grace. Oh, shall we? So he was outside shaving in long underwear
0: and a hat. Do you know why he wore the hat when he was shaving? I mean... Because he liked the Monopoly man. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he wore the hat to keep his hair out of his eyes while he was shaving. Oh,
1: what I wrote right. in my notes was this really seems like a British Netflix <laughs> cute meat. <laughs> like, oh, cheerio. Am oh, I oh, wrong on... Oh, I don't know, sorry, I'm, I'm sure- I I oh,
0: terribly, sorry. Oh, don't sorry. that's quite all right. <laughs>
1: Would you have a hat on?
0: <laughs> British people do ask questions in an interesting way where they, they inflect downwards...
1: Have the hat on, isn't it?
0: She was a University of Vermont graduate and a teacher at- Catamounts. The Catamounts? Yeah. Is that their mascot? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are there, Is there another state school in Vermont? Oh, I don't know. I'm sure they're like private- How could there even be room? Schools. I know. Right? Like seven people. It's, it's tiny. She Anytime
1: goes, you throw out a college, I'm going to probably have the- I like The it. mascot in my back I pocket. I don't Catamounts. even know what a Catamount it's, is. It's like
0: a cat. I don't think so. Yeah. It's like a mountain like a, cat. Like a mountain cat? Yeah, not like a- of uh, Mancun. It seems like an architectural structure. Like, a, oh, is that Catamount going to hold you up there? I thought you were you. saying
2: cat and mouse. Cat a C-A-T-A-M-O-U-T.
0: C-A-T-A-M-O-U-T. Well, anyway, Grace Goodhue. She was a catamount and a teacher at North Northamptons. Ham- North oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Northampton at Northamptons. That's oh, yes. <laughs> where I teach from the faculty. Some <laughs> uh, of there. It was called the Clark School for the Deaf. So she was, and this actually throughout her entire life, she was a big advocate and proponent of education for the deaf community, which, as president, Calvin lobbied a lot of his friends to say, hey, my. My wife is very passionate about this. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, I was just signing thank you uh,
1: as respect to Grace. I know that wasn't good radio, but
0: it got right. God, visually that just
2: <laughs> Catamount. Catamount. A medium-sized or large wild cat, especially a cougar.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So it's a cat that likes younger cats. Catamount. In 1904, Calvin ascended to the chairmanship of the local Republican Party organization. He ran for and lost a bid for a seat on the Northampton School Board in 1905, which would be the only loss he ever experienced at the polls. When told that some of his neighbors voted against him because he had no children in the schools that he would govern, the recently married Coolidge replied, "Might give me time. (laughs) Okay. So we've got four words four out of Calvin so far. <laughs> they got married on October 4th, 1905, and they honeymooned in Montreal, which was originally Probably planned closer. for two weeks, but it was cut short. Calvin wanted to get back home.
1: He was like, do you know they were going to be speaking French? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This poutine is decent, but we need to go. They just put the gravy on the press. It's right on there. It's not even cheese. It's cheese curds. It's like concentrated cheese. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had poutine, rest?
2: Squeaky. I don't like
0: squeaky. Squeaky? Yeah, when you you eat real cheese cheese curds, they're like squeaky. Mm. It hurts my feelings. It hurts my feelings. (laughs) It hurts your feelings. Those Canadians. (laughs) It hurts your feelings. French Canadians. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
2: eh? (laughs)
0: Uh, you hoser. In 1906, the local Republican committee nominated Coolidge for election to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He then reported to Boston for the 1907 session of the Massachusetts General Court. He was elected to a second term, served there till 1910, and then he was elected mayor of Northampton. So a pretty rapid ascent in local politics in Massachusetts. Around this time, his- Really came full circle. He failed
1: to make the school board. Yep. Became mayor. That's right. He's like the Michael Jordan of Northampton
0: politics. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Aww. you could Didn't say. make the high school yep, basketball right. team. And then, yep, yep, made it, yeah. Around this time, their first son, John, was born in 1906, and Calvin Jr. followed in 1908. He won a statewide race for the Massachusetts Senate in 1912, served as Senate President in 1914, Lieutenant Governor in 1916, and ultimately Governor in 1918. His slogan as Lieutenant Governor was, have faith in Massachusetts. <sighs>
1: <laughs> We're up to nine words.
0: Nope, that's still for that eight words i feel like that slogan is how i feel about this horrible wine that he enjoyed
1: well i mean it could be taken one of two ways like if you live in massachusetts you need to have faith Mm. but also like if you're relying on
0: us have faith that we'll call you so you're on your own how's your mother in 1919, he faced his biggest challenge yet as a politician when a police strike led to panic and violence in the streets of Boston. After sending in the state guard to quell the tension, he admonished the officers for leaving their posts. It comes in waves. The the wine, yeah, so bad, it's so bad. <laughs> so bad. Hungry? What is wrong with you? It's, it's, Why do you like this? Like, it, there's the first taste,
1: and then there's the oh no, that's not good, and then in the third wave where it's like, nope, it's even worse. <laughs> And it moves from the back of your tongue to the front. Like now I get it. Now the people that talk about wine, I understand how they do it now. It's not good. Because this is the first one that's yeah,
0: gotten a sure. visceral reaction oh, out of me. It's so bad. Uh, well, he yells <laughs> at the union leader, quote, There is no right to strike against the public safety by anybody, anywhere, anytime. That hardline stance impressed the public at large, and by 1920, he was the VP candidate on the Republican ticket next to presidential nominee Warren G. Harding. This is the first of many times he took credit for something he had literally zero like
1: effort in fixing. Go ahead. At one point, he even said <clears throat> that the police strike was the mayor's problem. Okay. He was like, "I don't have to care about what the police in Boston are doing. I'm a state guy. That's yeah. a city thing. It's a local event. It's a." Yeah. And then eventually he started. Well, and this Calvin Cool. This doesn't. This isn't the first time this will happen. Go ahead. From some accounts, he had some people telling him like, "Hey, this is about to wrap up. You mm-hmm. should step in and tell them they should stop." Oh, okay. <laughs> and so he would come in at the eleventh hour, and then he would
0: get all the credit. Yeah, for ending the strike and things like that. Why isn't it coming in at the twenty-third hour, Russ? Could you look up the derivation of coming in at the eleventh hour, please? Yes, thank you very much.
1: Because they used to work eleven-hour days. I like etymology and <laughs> origin stories. That was that's my guess. But also, when the police went on strike, it yeah. essentially became
0: the purge in Boston. Oh, like that was. <laughs> they were used to that though. They were used to the purge. Do you remember though, like how amped up they would get in Boston around like now, even colonial times. They would have this day D. where it was like just throw it over. Well, them. yeah, yeah. Nice March 1770 reference plan. Start sh- like shooting people in the harbor. Yeah, just uh, okay. He oh, threw a rock at me. Yeah. Well. Pew! No, but Boston like definitely had sides of town where gangs would like be like, oh man, tonight's fighting night. Yeah, sharks and jets. Yeah, yeah, clams
1: and oysters. Like a real Romeo and Juliet, but in New York situation. Yeah, yeah. Did you know Lion King was based on Hamlet? yeah 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 there's no much to it the one point when he's holding the uh oh the, the skull, skull. Yeah. Oh, okay i was just imagining what the purge looked like in 19 what 15 it's like here here yeah give me my knickers back get your bully club yeah i've never seen the purge
2: do you want to know what the 11th hour i would like is? that russ yes. i've never seen the purge either
1: it's, the biblical.
0: Oh, really? so oh, okay. it's biblical oh really okay it's Okay, So,
2: what do you think it's from?
0: Can you give me the book that it comes from? Is uh, it your book? The Bible. You, is it the Torah or is it the New it's Testament? It's the New Testament. Oh, okay. that makes hour. it harder. I'm pretty sure. Coming in the 11th hour?
1: <laughs> it sounds somewhat it's apocryphal. <laughs> if it's not a book you recognize, it's probably um, the New Testament, Russ. Yeah, it, I it feel sounds like it's uh, gone along eschatological. Is it someone's name? Yes. Mm, that doesn't uh, narrow it down at all <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and just yeah, give it. It, right. it to I right. us
0: i Phrase do feel like 11th you have a
2: biblical origin it comes from the parable in matthew okay in which a few last minute workers hired long after the others are paid the same yep. wage despite yep. being brought on the job after 11 hours of hard vineyard oh. work how do
1: you not know oh, that right okay all right so sorry sorry
0: don't know literally oh, in parables. your wheelhouse <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Russ, thank you for educating me on sure. that. Well, you may recall from our previous episode that Harding won the 1920 election by an unprecedented landslide of 60%, 60, percent of the popular vote. As vice president, Coolidge played little role in the Harding administration, although he did attend cabinet meetings and he kept a pretty low profile as president of the Senate and mainly devoted himself to making public speeches. Blaine? Can we talk about how he got nominated for vice president? Please. This is a great story. <laughs> Do you know
1: the story, Russ? Yes. As the yeah. vice presidential expert. Oh, that's so, right. Because
0: you would have shared about it in, no.
1: I skipped him last time. Okay. To get somebody else entirely. Basically, he wanted to run. Or actually, Lodge was like, no, you're not strong enough against the League of Nations. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can't run for president. And then, like, it took them long enough to get Harding nominated as yeah. president. Right. Nobody had enough money to stay in the hotel for another day. So, they were like, yeah, Coolidge, fine. We got to go. <laughs> his wife asked him That's great. if he would accept. And
0: he said, well, I suppose I'll have to. Gosh. Sounds like Eeyore. Actual quotes. Yeah. <laughs> said, well, I suppose, suppose I'll, I'll have, have to. to. He he did kind of have, I think it was described as somewhat of a quack in his voice. Like kind of a, maybe yeah, a nasal. Yeah, that was when he was young. Which would have been very common in New England to have kind of a. At
1: one time when he was um, nasal the president of the tone. Senate, two senators were yelling at each other. And somebody asked him to. Like, bang his gavel Uh and call for order. And he said, I will if they get excited. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He he attended so many functions and luncheons. Like, for one, he didn't think that vice president's salary was enough to buy or rent a house. Okay. So he sent his kids to boarding school and just yeah. stayed in a hotel yeah. the whole time. Yep. But he was asked once why he attended so many functions and luncheons. And his reply was, got to eat somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy your Calvin Coolidge impersonation. <laughs> he might not have talked a lot, but he certainly slept a lot. On average, he got a solid eight to nine hours a night, plus two or three hours in the afternoon because he was quite the napper. Coolidge's very first act as president of the United States was to go to sleep (laughs) at the time. Just listen. At the time, in 1923, VP Coolidge was visiting his parents' farm back home in Vermont, and he had been helping them out in the fields, and he was just tuckered out. And he went to sleep about 9 o'clock. Then in the middle of the night, a messenger arrived to announce that Warren Harding had died due to a heart attack. Coolidge knelt. Prayed and went downstairs to the living room. Although the old house had no telephone, it was soon filled with reporters, and at 2.24, with the newspaper men settled and a copy of the Constitution retrieved, Coolidge was sworn in at 2.47 a.m. on the family Bible by his own father, who was a notary public. The new president promptly went back to bed. This kind of moment had never transpired before in presidential history, nor has it been repeated since, making him the only president to be sworn in by his own dad. He had to get
1: re-sworn in, though. Yes, he did. Because his dad was a state employee, and state employees cannot give an oath to a federal employee. However, I did want to note, the only reason his dad gave (laughs) the oath was because they were like, we have to find somebody that's qualified. And his response was essentially, well, I'm a notary. <laughs> they were like, that's probably fine. That, that actually is probably fine. That works great. Yes. <laughs> and I just want everyone to know I am a notary. Yeah, you are. So you and, can and say me, those jokes. Yeah, if you ever. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone to know if you ever need to be sworn into something, yeah. I'm your guy. I <laughs> I can do it. I've I have a stamp. Yeah, you do. It's literally like all you have to do to be a notary. It's like seventy dollars. And you have to take a ten question open book test and three of the ten questions are can you notarize your own document? Mm. And the answer is no. So yeah. I thirty percent for free right there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> is is a notary just basically a glorified like witness? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it's basically With a stamp. It. Yeah, with a cool I stamp.
1: I love getting the opportunity to notarize things. <laughs> Whenever I hear someone just like
0: kind of talking about it, I'm like, yeah. you need to know, I'm a notary. Can we do this? I keep my stamp in my car. Oh, man, that's great. Well, uh, yes, like you mentioned, he returned to D.C. the next day and was sworn in by a Supreme Court justice. Basically, just to make sure there weren't any questions about. You
1: were sworn in by who? It was my dad. What makes you Wait, think that huh? was a.
0: Well, he's a notary. From Vermont. <laughs> we're fine, right? The the part of that story which interests me is that someone found a copy of the Constitution in Plymouth Notch, Vermont at two o'clock in the morning. Well the nation initially did not know what to make of new president Calvin Coolidge because he had maintained such a low profile in the Harding administration. He he said fourteen words. Yeah. They're like, who is this guy? (laughs) Many had even expected him to be replaced on the ballot in nineteen twenty four. Shortly after, on June 2nd, 1924, he signed the act granting citizenship to all Native Americans born in the United States. By that time, two-thirds of them were already citizens, having gained it through marriage or military service or the land allotments that had earlier taken place. Blaine, I can tell that you're starting to get a little angsty. Uh, What's
1: the point of that? How are they not already citizens? Yeah. Well, they weren't. So the people that lived Mm -hmm. here when the laws were written didn't just fall under those laws? Nah. Uh -uh. Okay. Yeah in 1776 when we yeah. declared our that, independence that's when america started right ev- wouldn't everyone on the landmass be considered yeah. an american at you that point think. yeah you right think. yeah so what we're saying is that's clearly not the case yeah and certain peak groups had to become americans later i don't get it i don't understand it well they're not white men right well yeah that is correct All right yeah. okay yeah yeah good yeah. point wow
0: after a year in office that he inherited from Harding, Coolidge was ready to assume the presidency in his own right. He was I think the 6th vice president to become president due to the death of a predecessor, I believe. Yeah, maybe be right. more than 6? I don't know. Okay. Historically, vice presidents who had finished out their predecessor's terms did not seek the presidency in their own right. Only Teddy Roosevelt in 1904 had done so successfully. But Coolidge muscled out potential challengers, including automaker Henry Ford, for the 1924 Republican nomination. Russ, why are you rolling your eyes? Let's ask Russ about Henry Ford. Go ahead. Henry Ford's a horrible person. Please Why? open that Why? up. Go ahead.
2: From my understanding, he was Hitler's inspiration.
0: You're the meaning <laughs> in my life. You're the inspiration. I think that it's important
1: to point out what he said was that Ford
0: inspired yeah. Hitler. Yeah, how'd that happen? <clears throat> oh Russ, it's fascinating. Based on your understanding, how did that happen? I, I believe
2: know. Hitler. Had been reading some literature
1: that Ford promoted. That it was Ford like promoted. really famous anti Semitic li- okay. literature okay. from like the early 1900s that sure. Ford got a hold of and was like, this dude knows who he's talking from about. From Germany? No,
0: Ford was reading. Ford Semitic was reading it from Germany. No, nope. yeah. and then he nope. retweeted it. It was from it. here. Oh.
1: It was from here. Okay, and then he yeah, he retweeted he it. Retweeted he started it. widely distributing it, and he had the means to distribute it and explain like his anti-Semitic okay. thoughts. And one of the ways that he distributed it was he got it out in Europe, and okay. Hitler was like read it in those distributions.
0: Okay. Yep. So it's <clears throat> o facto. Henry Ford.
2: And then Henry Ford went over and met Hitler.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm learning so much about Henry Ford that I did not know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gush. Gush. Yeah. Russ, thank you. Thank you. Galoosh. (laughs) Thank you for enlightening us. Coolidge had emerged unscathed from the teapot dome scandals that plagued the Harding administration. His investigations of the corruption of the Harding administration bolstered his reputation as a man of simplicity and correctness, which is exactly what the country seemed to be craving in the culturally and economically dynamic roaring 1920s. So why don't we take a break? I do want to touch a little
1: bit on Teapot Dome, and then I want to bring Russ in for his second term and whoever his vice
0: president was. All right. You're listening to episode 30 of The Subdue of the President Crunch Podcast. We'll be right back. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice.
1: People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going chop chop barbershop chop chop yeah it's this super cool very clean spot over by 16th and college area oh, 16th yeah. and yandis if you will okay i will here uh, in indy yeah super cool building old school style barbershop anthony always fades me up well he leads this diverse team of three other barbers all three of my kids get their haircuts there even my wife gets her haircut. oh they there. do ladies cuts yeah too. from you know fades to braids and everything in
0: between I love that. And if I wanted more info, where could I go? I would check out, personally, chopchopbarbers.com. Okay, chopchopbarbers.com.
1: From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad,
0: so, <laughs> so I'm going to go to chop, chop, Barbershop. Yeah. Doop, doop, yeah. Hey, welcome back. Season two brought to you by Greeks Pizzeria. It's our taste. pizzeria.com. So, the
1: teapot don't scandal. The only thing I really want to talk about was this Ned McLean guy. And I can't remember if we talked about him in the last episode or not. I, I feel Pi. like I.
2: Yeah, I feel like you saying something to the yeah. uh, American, American Pie. Pi. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. He owned the Hope Diamond, it was cursed. Teapot Dome scandal If you don't know What I'm talking about Go back and listen To the last episode Yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Teapot Dome Was a place in Wyoming There's oil reserves And I drink out of Your (laughs) Your (laughs) milkshake Yeah Yeah
1: That's the one I remember now Yeah So anyway Cal had to deal with that He sure did And the What was his name Albert Fall Yes Is this where the Fall guy Comes from Oh I want to know that too Albert
2: Bacon Fall
1: Albert Bacon Fall He ended up taking The Fall uh-huh. For the Teapot Dome uh, scandal, yeah. is he is the first former cabinet member to ever go to jail.
0: You're not the I mean, only person who thought that it might be to the Teapot Dome scandal. Yeah, it's all over the internet. That's not it, though. What is it? It's a uh, show from the 70s, right? T- What's that? The Fall Guy? The Fall Guy. He's
2: was a man, I
0: think. It became popular in uh, the 1950s and 60s. Basically means holding the bag is another the term know, related yeah. to the it. Bag a guy. patsy, a red shirt scapegoat, or a straw man. So mm, there you go. Mm. Mm. I feel like we should bring in Russ. Talk about Calvin oh, yeah. as vice president. Ladies and gentlemen, come to the stage, Russ Slivka, Charles
2: <laughs> G. Dawes.
0: Oh yeah, I remember this guy all the way back in McKinley. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there yeah a musician a named Dawes? There's a band named Dawes, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe,
2: Maybe it's a tribute band.
0: To, me, to to this guy.
2: To, to Charles G. Dawes.
0: Go
1: ahead. Uh, They're like super hipster, aren't they? Yeah, very So hipster. that would be right up the alley yeah. of a hipster band, is yeah. to be a tribute band to Cal Coolidge's vice president. We play 1920s rock. During the day, I make coffee with leaves on the foam. Yeah. Man,
0: my but, leather suspenders are chafing today.
2: Charles Dawes yeah. was born in Marietta, Ohio. His father was Brigadier General Rufus Dawes. Rufus. That sounds familiar. It is. Yeah.
0: Why is that familiar? Bill and Ted. Well, I know why Rufus he is. He was
2: a brigadier general in Antietam. He had recruited hundreds of men. And
0: well, if he an officer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was born on the 4th of July, Rufus Dawes was. Boy. Uh, huh. Boy, howdy. Uh,
2: he did have an ancestor, <laughs> William Dawes, who rode with Paul Revere from Charleston to Lexington there on is. April 18th. 1775. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He also had a ancestor who had a mercantile tile. F- mercantile. 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 Yeah, mercantile. Mercantile. Yeah. mercantile. Yeah. A mercan- are you sure? <laughs> mercantile, mercantile. It's mercantile. I've heard mercantile. What are
1: the things on the floor in your bathroom? <sighs> no, that's not it is. Tile or teal? It's
2: not mercantiles. <laughs> I think it's mercantile. <laughs> I'm saying okay, like fine.
1: it's T-I-L-E. It's he had not an teal. ancestor. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Who had a mercantile firm called Dawes and Coolidge. So uh-huh. Coolidge's ancestor was a partner with Dawes's ancestor. Yo, that's Koffer.
0: cool. It's pretty that's cool, wild. right? And then they became partners mm. years later.
2: Yeah. So after graduating. <laughs> and then
0: he got stopped on the
1: way back in Mississippi <laughs> and <laughs> Buchanan. It's a, oh, you know, I got uh, it. Yeah. His name was also Rufus, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Rufus, yeah, Rufus King. King. I thought he was <laughs> <laughs> Alabama. Well, yeah, it's the same. same. I just ran a marathon in Mississippi last weekend. And I'm not kidding you. At Mile, there were so many Waffle Houses. Oh, Uh yeah. It was one road. The marathon was one road. You just went that way. 26 miles. I think there were uh, like 12, not kidding, 12 Waffle Houses at mile 18 or 19. Wow. There was a guy sitting in a lawn chair (laughs) (laughs) with a Yeti cooler pounding Coors Banquet beers. Yeah, he was. <laughs> it's like 8.30 in the morning. Yeah. He's by himself. Yep. And all he's doing is to everyone running by going, only four more waffle houses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> Which is the most Southern unit of measurement oh, I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's like Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> just places. like it. Yeah. Russ, so, tell us more about Rufus. Charles Dawson.
2: So after graduating Cincinnati Law, it uh, law. Howard
0: Taft's alma mater. Howard oh. Taft. Bearcats. That. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, All right, well. So
2: after law school, <laughs> yeah, with he taft. became a anti-monopoly attorney with
0: William Jennings Bryan. Oh, uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Silverman. Silverman. Anti-monopoly. Silverdick. Okay. Mm-hmm. He so defeated Silver Dick.
1: That's right. <laughs> and he hated monocles. <laughs> hated them. I'm anti-monopoly. Yeah. You take your B&O Railroad. Yeah, this is a stay in jail free card. <laughs> he had a friend,
2: General Pershing. Oh, yeah. Um, John. The commander oh, of John. The American Forces. Yeah, he won World the Great one. War. Exactly. Sure did. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tank named after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So he basically asked Pershing if he could enlist. And then whatever that process is, it was a very expedited process. Because very quickly, he was made the head of the army's purchasing board.
1: Oh. Sounds more like an officer than yeah. enlisted. Sounds okay. like more
0: like a Chester <laughs> Arthur yeah. a guy.
2: In World War One, he was the head of the purchasing board for all of Europe. Wow. So he was, yeah. He became very powerful very quickly. Gosh. And then after the war, Dawes was summoned by the House Committee on War Expenditures. So he was oh, so they're they're taking like, the
0: task. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. They're like, This okay. is where I've heard of them. Do you have any receipts for this? Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, so oh.
2: to be exact. $2,000 uh,
1: for a stapler.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> to be exact, one of the senators on the House committee said, is it not true that the excessive prices were paid for some articles? And Dawes shot back, when Congress declared war, did it expect us to be Germany at a 20% discount? Huh. So where Coolidge was very quiet, Dawes yes. was absolutely on the opposite end and
1: they were like there's literally money falling out of your pocket right now." he said no
0: there's not
2: sure we paid high prices men were standing at the front to be shot at we had to give them food and ammunition we didn't stop to dicker oh yeah
1: right some of them did
2: he was angry yeah (laughs) he went on a tirade against these senators Mm -hmm. and it's actually one of the lines made him famous the question was, is it not true that excessive prices were paid for mules? And he said, Helen Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Hell and Maria. Oh, okay. yeah, it yeah.
1: was better if it was Helen Maria. Helen Maria, that well, was, was he, the
2: name
0: of one of the
1: mules. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's what he said, he said. He said it was a saying from Montana, but uh, the papers oh, published hilarious. it as Helen Maria.
1: Helen he said, Marina. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, she wasn't cheap. <laughs> no. it was an expensive mule.
2: <laughs> he said, "I would have paid horse prices for sheep if sheep could have pulled artillery to the front."
1: Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: He was pretty cool. Okay. Like
1: Well, I doubt it, but
0: he was he a was. banker. He was a pretty cool guy. In the 1920s. <laughs> I don't
2: know. Like he was He was all in.
0: He's used to having no restrictions on him whatsoever.
2: Yeah. No. After World War 1 was over, yes. he became was- the
0: vice
1: president
2: well, before that, he uh, was put in charge of getting reparations from Germany after World War One. Oh, League of Nations, okay, the League of Nations, got right? Yeah. So he's the one who actually supported the German economy, basically in got the influx of money in there, so then they could huh. pay reparations for it. And he won the Nobel Prize for yeah. that.
1: What What this did he before? do? He did something with uh, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. and like turned around something about how Rail they, roads. yes yeah yeah like he was like a genius and it ended up like kind of screwing us in World War II because they did. got so good at it oh I see yeah. like he did something huh. really similar to like what Walmart did way later with logistics like he was way ahead of his time yeah and it just completely jump-started Germany, Germany's economy, and the whole purpose was so they would have enough money to pay all the countries back for World War One. Exactly. Got it. Got it. But yeah. what it did in turn was just made them, like, really efficient at manufacturing war materials yeah. for yeah. World War II.
2: So he did become Coolidge's vice president, Yeah, and Coolidge really didn't spend a lot of time campaigning. Like, uh, I mean, he did a, no. a front porch scenario that no, wasn't he didn't. really one.
1: No, he didn't yeah. campaign at all.
2: But Dawes did. So, in okay. his stead, Dawes was the one who was...
1: Although, the campaign slogan for them was Coolidge or Chaos. You kind of like it or you hate I it? I really like it. Yeah, you kind of like it. Coolidge or Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean... Take your choice. <clears throat> I think that it should be a Dawes album. Oh, yeah. Coolidge or Chaos.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. A lot of levels there. Coolidge basically shut him out. He didn't give him any kind of insight to the cabinet, or he didn't yeah. even let him go to Washington, D.C. early to kind of learn how to be head of the Senate. No dickering. No dickering. But as head of the Senate, he was in charge of cabinet nominations. Okay. Right? So Coolidge wanted to nominate an attorney general yeah. named Charles Warren. Okay. And the day that they were, or several days where they were going through this nomination debate in the Senate, one of the days, the minority leader and the majority leader came up to Dawes and said, we're not going to get a vote today. There's okay. like six senators who've already said that they want to speak. So we're it's not going to happen. So Dawes left. He went back to his hotel room <laughs> and he took a nap. Cool. W- well, while he was gone... Five of those senators were like, nah, I don't want to talk. Oh. And it was a very close because Warren was from one of the sugar corporations. So it was a very hotly debated whether he could be attorney general. The VP was probably going to end up having to be the tiebreaker. Yep. But since he was asleep, you know, no one else wanted to talk. So they had time. They called the vote. The party called him up and said, you got to get back here. Yeah. He tried to get dressed, got over there, ended up missing the vote, and then Warren got shot down. He didn't become the attorney general. Huh. And it was the first time a president had a cabinet nomination rejected.
0: Interesting. Because of a nap.
2: Because of a nap. Huh. And what's really funny is he was, at that point, he was kind of labeled with that. Like people would joke with him about sleeping and taking yeah. naps. I wake up for the Like one. Coolidge. Uh, well, not Coolidge, like Taft. No. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, he so, couldn't help
0: it, though. He, so
2: Dawes was attending a Supreme Court hearing,
0: <laughs>
2: and Taft sent him a note that said, come up here, this is a good place to sleep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
0: That's great. Yeah. Oh, Taft. Yeah. Billy, he oh, was always funny. Billy. Anything else about Chuck Dawes? No, that's it. Okay. Thank you, Russ, as always, for Mm -hmm. that. On March 4th, 1925, Coolidge's second inauguration was the first inaugural ceremony broadcast nationally by radio and the first and only time to date that a former president administered the oath of office as chief justice of the Supreme Court, namely William Howard Taft. Oddly enough, Harding's biographer in the book we read right before this one. Yes also
1: claimed that Harding's was the first inauguration broadcast by radio.
0: Yeah, I remember that. I think it was the first one that was publicly amplified there, maybe. So maybe it was know.
1: just semantics?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like over a PA system? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Coolidge had at least four cats in the White House. He was a big fan not, of- Not shocking. Super quiet dude. He was a big like, fan of cats. Yeah. Tiger, Blackie, Timmy, and Smokey.
2: All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which one did you have a problem with, Russ? <laughs> was it Smokey, Timmy, or Tiger? <laughs> Tiger. Tiger. Tiger was an orange tomcat that Coolidge had moved into the White House from his farm in Vermont. He was a catamount. Oh. He was oh, a catamount. Literally. Oh. Yeah. Tiger was Tiger a catamount. Tiger was a catamount. Especially. Especially a yeah, cougar. <laughs> he would come when the president called him by the nickname Tiggy and was often seen draped around his neck when Coolidge walked around the White House. On the night of March 20th, 1924.
1: Why is it always like the weird, quiet, like stoic dudes that everybody's like, that dude, he knows what's going on. That yeah. says things
0: like "Tiggy" and wears a cat around their neck. Come here, Tiggy. Tiger slipped out an open door and out into the wilderness of Washington, D.C. The next morning, Coolidge called for Tiggy, but he didn't appear. Alarmed, the president sent staff to search the executive mansion and the grounds, but to no avail. Next, he enlisted the city police, who were put on alert to look for an orange and black cat again. Eating lasagna. Yeah. Yeah. Desperate, the president turned to a medium. Yes. To a medium with a wider reach He sent a secret service agent to a radio station To broadcast an appeal to listeners Asking them to please Call the White House If they had any information about the president's Missing cat Please don't take that out (laughs) I want
1: everyone to know That we thought he meant a psychic (laughs)
0: And what he meant Was a different form of media (laughs) That's all I meant (laughs) Hundreds of people called the White House, either with tips or with offers to give Coolidge a whole new cat. In the end, the radio did the trick. One of the listeners found a sleeping cat the next morning in the Navy building, just half a mile from the White House, and tried the president's usual greeting. Here, Tiggy," and the cat ran over to him. That's definitely not his cat. His cat is dead, and that is a different orange cat. I promise you.
2: No, that well, was a, no that it's was not. A, that was a cat napping. Because, because the oh. heat was on him and he was like it was like I a real Lindbergh him baby him situation said,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's They're like, well, crap it's on the radio Jim <laughs> it's fine relax we're gonna get money and he's like I'm taking it back I'm gonna say if I just admit what happened I'll just here's what we'll do I'll say I said Tygie <laughs> and it came to me
0: and I found it and we'll be fine Back Paint to some the black. factory on Monday. Nobody will know a thing. <laughs> Paint some black straps on him, quick. <laughs> Tiger was back in President Coolidge's arms. Coolidge got Tiger a new collar that said, my name is Tiger. I live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue.
1: Look, Coolidge has not done anything in the book that I read or anything we've talked about that's like egregious like some of the <laughs> other presidents, but I just do not like this guy.
0: Yeah. He's just like <laughs> just- Well, he also had six dogs, a bobcat, a goose, a donkey, two lion cubs, an antelope, and a wallaby at the White House. There are certain things
1: like that, though, that get me to come around. (laughs)
0: He had 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 a wallaby. wallaby. Yeah.
1: So this was cool. (laughs) So we both picked up on the same.
0: Okay. But wait, there's more. The main attraction in his personal zoo was a pygmy hippo (laughs) named Billy. (laughs) Were its teeth sharpened? Billy? (laughs) A pygmy hippopotamus
1: named Billy. Okay. When oh, we, the aware. term pygmy, I'm yeah. not entirely sure what it
0: means. Small? A pygmy, yeah, It's well, it's, it's an actual mm. tribe of people, I believe. That's what yeah. I thought, because yeah, of the, the 1904 Olympics. Yeah. What's that all about? Oh, there's a whole piece of the episode, you know. Yeah. Okay.
2: Where they were, mm, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, they
1: were okay. put on display oh, like that. it was yeah, a yeah, zoo. Sorry, yeah.
0: sorry, 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 yeah, yeah.
1: So are we saying this is a tiny hippopotamus?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Billy was born in Liberia. But he was captured at a young age. He came into the possession of tire mogul Harvey Firestone. <laughs> who gave Billy to President Coolidge as a six foot long 600 pound gift. So if you're a tire mogul and suddenly you get a 600 pound hippo and you're like, what you do I to do? The with president naturally. Yeah. yeah. I just sent it to the president. Well, Coolidge donated Billy to the Smithsonian National Zoological Park. Since there were only a handful of pygmy hippos in the U.S. at the time, Billy quickly went to work as a stud. He sired 23 little pygmy hippos, so super tiny, and many of the pygmy hippos you see in American zoos today are Billy the hippo's descendants.
1: Have you ever seen a pygmy
2: hippo? I don't know if I've seen what the difference is between a pygmy hippo and a... uh, A hippo is definitely
0: much larger than 600 pounds. How do I know? Well, hippos are massive, Russ, and this is a pygmy
1: hippo. Six foot. This thing is only six foot. This is the size of a human. This is like my 400-pound life hippo.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Did Am I wrong else? about that? That's no, about no, no, the same right. dimensions, you're no, right. I, you're right? You're right. You're Did right. right. Did anyone else think he said Harvey Firestein gave him yes. a hippo? <laughs>
1: that's why oh, I laughed. Like the hippo. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: I was thinking of Mrs. Doubtfire's brother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. good. <laughs> this is Billy the hippo. He's from Liberia. <laughs> Billy,
0: go make little hippos. <laughs>
1: And on that, we're going to go to break. This season's brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria, greekspizzeria.com.
0: It's a taste. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were six and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print. Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your order set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Hey, welcome back. Season 2 is brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria, greekspizzeria.com. It's, it's our taste. During his 67 months as president, Coolidge held 520 press conferences, or an average of nearly eight each month, meeting with reporters more regularly than any president before or since. He spoke on the radio at least monthly to national audiences and also enjoyed having himself photographed. To the delight of cameramen, the president posed in old-fashioned overalls when working on his father's farm, a full Native American headdress when speaking to a crowd of 10,000 Sioux, and cowboy chaps and a hat while on vacation in South Dakota. You think you think I should wear it, Grace? You think it's a good idea? It looks Yeah, really I nice. think I'll do it. Looks really. Think nice. I'll do it. Yeah, feathers look nice. He wore a headdress. He did. He was speaking to ten thousand Sioux. He was like, "No, this will resonate. Believe they had, me, they had they're going to like then, this. Right? They, like, they pictures have pictures of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can pull it up. Pull up Calvin Coolidge Native American headdress. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just like that he thought that was a good idea, or someone did. Let's dive in in just a little bit on his views on race and immigration. Uh, So, I said he hadn't said anything terrible yet. (laughs) Here Here it comes. Coolidge spoke in favor of the civil rights of black Americans, saying in his first State of the Union address that their rights were, quote, just as sacred as those of any other citizen, end quote, under the U.S. Constitution, and that it was a public and private duty to protect those rights. I got a picture of him in a headdress in the middle of that sentence. (laughs) Thank you, Russ. <laughs>
2: he looks like Bob Hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. Coolidge repeatedly called for laws to make <coughs> lynching a federal crime. Okay. But Congress, Another refi- good thing. Congress refused to pass any such laws. Another legislation. bad thing. June sixth Congress. On June 6, twenty four, Calvin delivered a commencement address at historically black non-segregated Howard University, mm-hmm. in which he thanked and commended black Americans for their contributions to US society over the years, as well as their eagerness to serve in the Great War, all okay. while being faced okay. with discrimination and prejudices at home. Was, did he do that with a headdress on?
1: I do not think so. Go all ahead. jokes aside, that's good. Yeah. Like Nothing terrible yet. I feel like the other shoe's about to drop. Like, just not a terrible human. Quiet, yes.
0: Boring, absolutely. Yeah. Terrible and racist, maybe not. This might pull your heartstrings a little bit more towards Calvin Coolidge. Here we go. So, shortly after this speech at Howard on June 30th, 1924, his son Calvin Jr. had been playing tennis with his older brother John on the White House tennis courts. Dude, heartstrings? Probably not. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. He had played tennis without socks and he developed a blister on one of his toes. The blister then degenerated into sepsis, and with penicillin yet to be discovered, he died within a week. Upon his son's death, Coolidge said, quote, The power and the glory of the presidency went with him. After his death, the White House was childless, as John was studying at his father's alma mater, Amherst, back in Massachusetts. So he lost his mom as a teenager, his older sister as a teenager, and he lost now one of his two sons. And some historians think that basically there were two Calvin Coolidge presidencies. Pre-death of his son and post, because they were markedly different after the death of his son. Okay. Some people think he actually might have been clinically depressed looking through the lens of history. After losing a child, why would they think that? Well, because his sleeping patterns got even... But back then in the 20s, his sleeping patterns just increased. They just called it shell shock back then. Yeah. Like they didn't know what to... I mean, you know, psychology wasn't really a big thing. So So when I said... Something's going on with the president.
1: When I made the comment about not my heartstrings... It's incredibly sad that you lose a son or a child, right? I do think that it is important to remember. So we've been doing this podcast for what, a year-ish? A little over a year. People have been listening to it for right about a year. A year, 150 years into the country, right? But from where we're at in the story to right now, we're less than 100 years away, right? And a blister killed a guy. Yeah. A hundred years ago. Yeah. In that same span of time like flight has been discovered and we've been on the moon yeah that's insane like the amount of progress that's happened since blister
0: killed a guy yeah, technology
1: so like it is weird when you hear stuff like this and when you hear 1920s and there's pictures of calvin Coolidge. we're not we're not talking about paintings anymore there's pictures yeah, of him. there's i think there's, there's colored them. there's colored pictures of him like pictures in color yeah yet his son died of a blister <laughs> Like, it's
0: wild. Yeah. In the summer of 1927, he vacationed in the Black Hills of South Dakota, where he engaged in horseback riding and fly fishing, and he attended rodeos. He made Custer State Park his summer White House. While on vacation, he surprisingly issued a terse statement that he would not seek a second full term as president. Quote, I do not choose to run for president in 1928. End quote. Okay. But the story behind how he gave that quote, he was holding a
1: press conference, He had the press come to give a press conference. Instead of giving a press conference, he hand delivered each journalist a piece of paper with one sentence written on it that said, I do not choose to run for president in 1928.
0: This one's for you. This one's for you. Well, why
1: call it a press conference? Hey, guys, I'll put a sign out
0: front. Just come read it. Like, why bring you all into a room? Coolidge elaborated after saying uh, those very few words, quote, if I take another term, I'll be in the White House till 1933. Ten years in Washington is longer than any other man has had it. Too long. End okay. Quote. I alluded to this earlier. So a couple of things. So yep.
1: one, there was a coal mining strike a few years prior to okay. that, that he stepped in super late in. And then all of a sudden it was resolved okay. and he got all the credit. Does that sound familiar to the police officer strike? strike. Yeah. And a lot of people believe he was told, hey, the strike's about to be done. You should go make an appearance. Similarly, he did a lot of things to stimulate the economy in the 1920s, specifically through the stock market, but all purely based on speculation. Okay. Which was one of the key reasons why the Depression happened.
0: Yeah, it was one of the key reasons. It wasn't the only reason. It wasn't. But
1: he could see, and he had advisors telling him, hey, within the next term, there's going to be an economic downturn. Get out now. So when he made those comments, when I get out of the White House, it'll be this year. Yeah. There's a pretty good prevailing theory. He knew things weren't going to go economically well. Yeah. So he wanted to get out without having the stink on him, if you will. At the 11th hour. Ah, there it is. Well, it's and circle. that's one of the weird things that sucks about Hoover. And we'll talk about this in a couple weeks. I'm a big Hoover fan because okay. Hoover is a gigantic man of character okay. and like his background and story is crazy, but he gets all this flack for the depression because he was the sitting president when it happened.
0: Yes, that's correct. If you
1: look at like all of the other factors, he probably shouldn't have got so much flack yeah. for it. And he's really far down the list. Yes, he is. Even though, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, all of the stuff he did to help refugees in World War One, yeah. feed an entire country during yeah. the war, all yeah, it's All insane. pre-president stuff that yeah, is the lens. That doesn't that you get, get yeah. You know, I get it. But Coolidge probably was an opportunist. Maybe that's one of the things that bothers me about him is multiple times throughout his mm-hmm. career, you can see how he was an opportunist. And like when I'm looking at things from a character lens, like people of high character don't do that. Okay. But some of the stuff I've learned tonight. Yeah. He wasn't a terrible human being. Yeah. And. You know, I got to give him credit for that because it was pretty easy
0: to be a terrible human being back then. In the then. 1920s, yeah. Yeah. After leaving office, he and Grace returned to Northampton where he wrote his memoirs. Uh, the Republicans Which were re- boring, shockingly. Yeah. The Republicans retained the White House in 1928 with a landslide by Herbert Hoover, who you just mentioned. Coolidge had been reluctant to endorse Hoover as his successor. And on one occasion, he remarked that, quote, for six years, that man has given me unsolicited advice, all of it bad. End quote. Even so, Coolidge had no desire to split the party by publicly opposing the nomination of the popular commerce secretary. He quietly left office on March 4th, 1929, although he almost missed Hoover's inauguration. He had made eight of his Secret Service team search for a lost boot cat. of his. Nope, not a cat.
2: <laughs> Wait, what?
1: <laughs>
0: he had was lost- like, it's orange. It comes to the name of Tygie. It's my boot. I usually wear it on my neck. <laughs> Everybody go look for it. It happened to be just as they were headed out the door and nearly made all of them late to the inauguration. <laughs> Couldn't find his boot. Like you said, Blaine, Black Tuesday struck seven months after Coolidge left office on October 29th, 1929, which we're going to dive into more on in the next episode. During his retirement, Coolidge published his autobiography in 1929, and he wrote a syndicated newspaper column called Calvin Coolidge Says for two years. He was an honorary president of Just the- every week. It was a different <laughs> article. It was like... Calvin Coolidge says, touch your shoulders. And then one week it was like, touch your knees. <laughs> he was the honorary president of the American Foundation for the Blind. President of the American and... In- in Tiquarian Society and a trustee at Amherst College. In 1932, Hoover was renominated by the Republicans and Coolidge made several radio addresses in support of his former cabinet member, but Hoover lost the election to Coolidge's 1920 vice president Democratic opponent, FDR, in a landslide. Shortly before his death, Calvin confided to an old friend, I feel I no longer fit in with these times characteristically his last will and testament was very brief only 23 words long and very to the point said not unmindful of my son john i give all my estate both real and personal to my wife grace coolidge in fee simple that fee amounted to about seven hundred thousand dollars
1: what's that now seven hundred thousand dollars in 1932
0: 1933 yeah how much or 700k in what year 1933 1933. Mm -hmm. coolidge's last words were good morning robert to a carpenter working on his house. Then he died suddenly of coronary thrombosis at 12.45 p.m. January 5th, 1933 at age 60. Famously at the pearly gates, he said, Gotta die somewhere. <laughs> Upon hearing the news of the notoriously quiet president's death, writer Dorothy Parker reportedly asked, How can they tell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, there's the famous <laughs> story uh, that Charlie mm-hmm. told us yes. from
1: the the dinner and yes. the woman sat next to him when he was then, vice president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then as he was leaving, she was like, I bet my husband I get you to say more than two words. I could get you to say three words. And he said, "You lose." Yeah. 700,000 in
2: 1921?
1: 33.
2: Sorry. That's what I googled. <laughs> 700,000 Don't believe you anymore. $700,000 in 1933 yes. is equivalent to $14 million in 2021.
1: So he did all right. That's what he gave to Grace. Yeah. And then somebody in the back was like, Grace died 30 years ago. <laughs> the blessing. <laughs> Say the blessing. <laughs> John is like, so it's my money. Is it mine? Yeah. And then a few years ago, this he's lady like my, from the New York he's Times. He's like, my
0: plot to take my brother's socks away worked. <gasps> oh, oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he
1: was... <laughs>
2: He like earn. stubbed his toe to death. Is that what it was? Yeah,
0: he got a blister. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah.
1: When I'm a walking, I took <laughs> a socks, and he went to play tennis. <laughs>
0: coolidge is buried in Plymouth notch cemetery in vermont his simple gravestone sits on a steep hill on a family plot and someone, simply says his name the dates of his birth and death and is marked with the presidential seal it's a pretty is, boring yeah tombstone.
1: that is a calvin coolidge yeah, gravesite
0: yeah. call it humble it's a little boring yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
1: will someone please uh that's a fan just put together a compilation of our greatest hits like a spotify playlist of all yeah, the songs that we have weird yeah. out i love that. Years.
0: That'd be great. Uh, the nearby family home is maintained as one of the original buildings on the Calvin Coolidge Homestead District site. The state of Vermont dedicated a new visitor center nearby to mark Coolidge's 100th birthday on July 4th, 1972. So Coolidge basically captured the public's favor. We're talking a little bit about his legacy by essentially doing nothing. The peace of the 1920s faded almost as quickly as the prosperity did, but Coolidge led the nation, even if passively, into the modern era. He was basically a bridge between two eras of our history. In the conservative 1980s, Coolidge regained some of his stature, at least in conservative circles. President Reagan returned his portrait to the Oval Office and praised his political style and hands-off leadership for producing seven years of prosperity, peace, and balanced budgets. Nevertheless, scholarly opinion looks upon Coolidge's presidency with a little bit of skepticism, ranking him pretty low among American chief executives. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, Coolidge currently sits at number 24 below taft and above cleveland how do you guys feel about that
1: i mean it sounds right yeah like in a boring spot that sure. nobody thinks about yeah you
0: laughed about
1: the hands-off
0: leadership approach is that what you were laughing at
2: yeah just the fact that it came from reagan that's it I don't, oh we don't okay to, we don't need to because I'm, he I'm was i'm looking
0: forward to the reagan episode yeah i'm very neutral about ronald reagan and i'm excited to hear about you guys not yeah. liking ronald reagan he definitely was a
1: hands-off leader, but he, like, he had very high expectations for all of his subordinates. Okay. So, that was one thing that I took away from it. Yeah. was, like, he had high expectations and he could get fiery, like, in a private setting. Mm. Like, you didn't do what we were. And so, everybody yeah. had very high expectations. They his were, temper expec- was pretty s- They strong. were expected to, yeah. like, meet those. And if they didn't, they were going to hear about it. Yeah. Speaking of fiery, there was once a fire at the hotel he lived in, the fire marshal. As he walked up, said, who are you? Oh, <laughs> he said, the vice president. And the fire marshal said, vice president
0: of what? Yeah. <laughs> like the bank down the street, like the Burger King. Like, what's the deal? Yeah. Calvin Coolidge is the reason of the United States of America, dot, dot, dot. What do you think? Loves Monopoly. <laughs>
2: Still finds the headdress so popular. Oh,
1: <sighs> got into the Great Depression. I'm blaming him for it. I need to find something.
0: Yeah. I might have had to get off the heat, all the heat off my boy Hoover. I think Calvin Coolidge is probably the reason the United States had such roaring 20s. Yeah. You know, based
1: an economy off speculations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Great Gatsby ish. I mean, yeah. Calvin Coolidge was kind of laissez faire about it. He's like, oh, all right. Alright, let's dive into little known facts, shall we? Coolidge and his wife Grace, who was a great baseball fan, once attended a Washington Senators game and sat through all nine innings without saying a word to one another, except once when he asked her for the time. So kind of a boring date. Though he may have been better suited in a silent film, he was the first president to appear in a movie with sound in it, known then as a talkie, which was a recording of one of his speeches.
1: That's not a movie. It's not a movie? That's
0: the news. It's a movie back then. Was there even
1: a
2: train coming at the audience?
0: (laughs) Was anybody tied up on the
2: tracks?
0: (laughs) He was quite a prankster. Sometimes he would ring the buzzer at the White House, wait for all the maids and ushers to snap to attention, and then he would run away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He He got him
0: again. Come here, Tygie.
1: And they're like, I make 30 cents a day. Child. Oh, I'm angry for them. Like, that's somebody that has a $73.56 tip and leaves $75 in cash and is like, no, keep it. That's for you. Yeah.
0: Helen Keller visited the White House when Coolidge was president. His wife, Grace, was able to raise $2 million for the deaf community, assisted by her husband. Coolidge installed a mechanical horse saddle in the White House. (laughs) Eight Uh, seconds. It was the brainchild of John Harvey Kellogg, uh, the the doctor who was best known for inventing cornflakes. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Coolidge rode the mechanical horse up to three times a day. I bet he did. (laughs) Believing it was beneficial to his health. The press called it Thunderbolt, and the device was widely mocked by observers (laughs) who felt that riding a fake horse was not befitting a president. I mean, he. Li- I mean, th- they're not wrong. Like he
1: did yeah. have the resources at his disposal to ride a real horse. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You said <laughs> you said a mechanical horse saddle. Yeah. Was <laughs> it's there... like one of
0: the things when you like go to Kroger and it's like okay, but there was a, a fake
2: horse underneath that saddle. I think or was so. Yeah. It just a <laughs> oh, was it just a, saddle? <laughs> like a you know. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's something different.
0: <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> It's lips move when you put peanut butter on it. Coolidge had to send for an electrician to repair his steed after it went berserk and it bucked him from the saddle. And people were like, what is an electrician?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, like, I bet man. I bet they didn't have a word for it. Yet. Yeah. They were no. like, can you get the guy that works on the magic? The guy <laughs>
0: with the magic <laughs> with the thingy.
1: They were like, what do you mean? You know the magic when you flip yeah, the switch yeah. and things buzz? Get the guy that yeah. works on the magic.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> My cousin, Tommy. <laughs> Coolidge was the first, and until Barack Obama went there in 2016, the only president to travel to Cuba while still in office. While still in I was going to say there was definitely one before him that was in Cuba. Yeah. For Thanksgiving in 1926, an admirer sent him a live raccoon with the suggestion that the president cook it and eat it as part of the family's oh, dinner. I thought he was like, introduce this to the wallaby and just tell me what happens. <laughs> <laughs> what is with sending the president's weird gifts? <laughs> like, didn't Jackson get a giant thing of cheese? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, oh, uh, Quincy had the alligator in his bathtub. Oh, man. Yeah. So great. All right. So Coolidge is pretty hesitant to try raccoon meat. So instead he pardoned the animal. It soon became a close friend of Grace's and was given the name Rebecca Raccoon. (laughs) Rebecca was prone to ripping up the furniture. (laughs) And and speeding through the White House. Parkour!
2: Hold on! They just let a raccoon <laughs> loose in the White House. Yeah. Were all these animals? Her name just was loose? Rebecca.
1: <laughs> Were all these animals loose? Hundred, in house? I'm 180 degrees turned around on, on him <laughs> now. He had he a had wild a raccoon sent from Kentucky. <laughs> we don't know if it was from Kentucky. It, it was from Kentucky.
0: Oh God! <laughs> loose in the White House. Oh. <laughs> it's pardon. He had a bobcat. I mean, this guy had two lions. And a donkey. But that's donkey. those were contained. This uh, is running wild is, in yeah, the White Rebecca. House. This is a wild loose raccoon <laughs> named Rebecca.
2: I mean, where does he where does he draw the line? Like if you're letting a raccoon well, loose in the White House, yeah. who says you're not well, letting the lions and tigers and
0: he donated it to a zoo oh. his last full year in office in nineteen twenty eight. He's like, This tomfoolery needs to yeah, stop. And that raccoon was like what happened? To all my freedom. Like, <laughs> why
1: am I outside now? This is this is ridiculous. I'm the first raccoon. <laughs> like you know, I lived in a building. Yeah, inside the exact. I didn't even have to get into the trash. No, it no. just came to me. Okay. I really like watching raccoons' hands work. Yeah, they're, they're really, so human. Mm, like, yeah, they're yeah. like, I will just I sneak up like this and I do one of these.
0: Coolidge was the only president to have his portrait on a coin during his lifetime. It was the sesquicentennial of American independence half dollar minted in 1926. So it was minted during his lifetime. The only, the only president's mm. had that. So for the 150 year celebration. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the last one that I have. The Coolidge effect Is a biological phenomenon seen in animals in which males exhibit renewed sexual interest whenever a new female is introduced to have sex with, even after the male has already had sex with a a sexual partner that is still available. What? So the animal has... What? So the animal... (laughs) Just listen. So the animal has sex with the female, and then a new female comes around. And he's got renewed sexual interest. Even though the former animal that he's already had sex with is still there, he wants to do the next one. It's called the Coolidge Effect. Why? Why <laughs> is
2: that called the Coolidge Effect? Here's why. Bro, crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, it was named after an old joke that involved the Coolidges. When he was in office, they were being shown separately around this government farm that was like an experiment in agriculture okay so they're both like he goes over there she goes over there when mrs coolidge came to the chicken yard she noticed that the rooster was having a lot of sex okay and so she asked the farmer how often this happened the farmer told her dozens of times each day dozens it's literally its job yeah yeah you show up you make the chicks yeah mrs coolidge said tell that to the president when he comes by Upon being told that, the president said, same hen every time. So he comes now and sees it. He goes, same hen every time. The reply was, oh, no, Mr. President, a different hen every time. President Coolidge then told the farmer, tell that to Mrs. Coolidge.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Good night, crazy.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. Thanks also to our other sponsors, Austin Bowman, Caliber Home Loans, Chop Chop Barbershop, and the IDR Press, home of our world-famous Mastodon shirt that Russ and I are both wearing, and apparently Blaine didn't get the memo. You can get the shirt at ryansongs.com. Hey, don't forget, become a patron. and Get early and ad-free episodes at the Tier 1, $5 a month level. Or for 10 bucks a month, you can get bonus episodes as well. Sign up today at Patreon.com slash Follow and subscribe. Leave us a review and connect with all of us at Presequential on social media. Our next episode on 31st President Herbert Hoover will be released on Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. We hope you enjoyed episode 30, The Subdued of the Presequential Podcast.